0: Hey, what's up? This is Ranting with Randy. I'm Randy. And this is a podcast that clearly still has no COVID-19 introduction, which is who gives at this point, who gives a fuck? What really is important is the content of the podcast rant, which is a hell of a lot of Lincoln Mitchell and very little of me. And that is because I am all over the fucking place. (laughs) Obviously, clearly, when am I ever focused? And Lincoln is focused and Lincoln has thoughts and Lincoln has feelings and Lincoln has... A lot of things to say, and yet he manages to tie it up in a nice little like, under-40-minute bow, even though his goal was 30 minutes, which is a hell of a lot of pressure, even though we don't really time this shit. uh, He is able to concisely and express himself in a way that I am clearly not capable of doing. I have no concept of time. I clearly refuse to have a concept of time. I also can't keep up when you drop names like Myrtle his Aunt Myrtle into the conversation and my brain immediately... I'm immediately reading Dr. Seuss and Myrtle the Turtle in my brain and get completely derailed and thrown off the topic while Lincoln continues to plow straight ahead and stay focused. Uh, how could you not think about Dr. Seuss and Myrtle the Turtle? What a, see, here we go. What a great name and what a... How, doc, I mean, let's can we? We all need a little more Dr. Seuss in our lives right now, I think. But maybe that's just me. It's probably just me. And the more important thing is is everything that Lincoln has to say about the protests, about uh, the civil unrest, about the <laughs> fucking crimes against humanity. And the actually, what's interesting is the constitutional conundrum that that some members of the military uh, find themselves in. Uh, and as usual, Lincoln puts together his thoughts. All under 40 minutes, because when he has a goal, he s- he sets his mind to it, and he sticks to it. Unlike me, who's like, fuck goals. What, what, I mean, really? What is time right now? What are days? But what you need to know is what Lincoln has to say. So at this point at this point and time, I will shut the fuck up and let Lincoln do most of the talking, which is probably a good thing, because you don't want to hear where my brain's at right now anyway. I'm ready. So I think what's important is you go ahead and you talk, because I... I've-
1: <clears throat> There's an awful lot here, and I believe that we are. I've said this for a while, but but the period between now and February 1st of next year, when we will know what happened with the election and with the inauguration and all of that, are really key for the future of the United States. And um, I've been tweeting a lot on this, mm-hmm. and I tweeted something which I think you saw, which said, I'm paraphrasing here, but you know we are at a point where we can we can be a cohesive in the sense of of not not unified in the sense that we all agree, but a functioning country. Or we can be a big place where a lot of people live and sort out how we want to relate to each other, what structures we want, what kind of polity we want to be. That's that's where we are right now. And I have long told you and, 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 and others that I believe this is worse than the late 60s and early 70s. And, you know, look, I was in New York in the late 60s. And I moved to San Francisco in the early 70s, so I was in both these hot spots. And I, and I have no recollection at all because I was a baby. But, um, but you know, and, and the reason is this. Richard Nixon, and, and you know, I mean, if my, if my late beloved grandfather knew I was defending Richard Nixon, he probably would, would come back from the urn and, and yell at me. <laughs> but, but Richard Nixon was unwilling to destroy the United States of America for his own political good. He was willing to make stupid policy decisions. Okay. He was willing to let his hubris continue this war in Vietnam that we shouldn't have been in in the first place. And he was willing to divide Americans to win elections. So he was no bloody saint. But he was not willing to destroy the United States. Donald Trump is. I agree. And that's the big difference. So I want to go back to that, but I want to just touch on something because this is too important to, um, to forget because I'm about to. We know... You and I know, and presumably anybody listening to this knows, that COVID-19 didn't go away. I know. Even though the weather got nice, even though Donald Trump said it went away, even though, frankly, a lot of good liberal people who don't like Donald Trump are acting as if it has gone away. And I'm not talking about the demonstrators. Right. Um, but it has not gone away. And with regards to the demonstrators, I would say the following. You know, um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, who was a native of North, upper Manhattan— uh, wrote a great piece about this, and he said, "For my community, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is African American. Uh, the the racism is a more dangerous virus than the COVID, and we're going to be out here making these decisions." And I and I and I honored that. I mean, I, I don't. I, I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a is a great voice on this. However, when I went to the demonstration, almost everyone there was wearing a mask, and I only went to one demonstration, and people were trying to social distance, which isn't possible.
0: Right, time. it's impossible.
1: But but the police, the NYPD, which has had a high rate of infection, nothing to do with this, and I don't and, and they high rate of infection because they have, they have high exposure jobs, correct. I mean, they're not out there getting it on purpose or for fun. They have high stress, high exposure jobs, and they're getting this. And I, I don't want them to have it, you know, but that they're not wearing a mask. Any policeman is not wearing a mask, at one of these demonstrations, should be fired tomorrow. Full stop.
0: I agree with you. And I don't understand it.
1: So that so, so so that is infuriating because and the reason is this is that the extent to which you accept the biological reality over which you and I and everyone else in America has very I mean unless you're a super super scientist has no control over. Right? We cannot control the biological reality of COVID nineteen. We can hope it goes away. We can hope we get a vaccine soon. We can take you know what we think are healthy precautions. But you and I might think are healthy precautions. Social distance, don't go out much, wear a mask. But we can't make it go away unless till we get a vaccine.
0: But it's also just let me say, in, in deference to just like the beat cops that everybody sees standing around falling into formation and, and lining up, it is a lot of these lieutenants and these chiefs that are now coming face to face and getting in the mix with the people that are taking off their masks. I know to talk to people, to walk arm in arm with people. I'm like, keep your fucking mask on.
1: You but can you can still, do both. Right. You can keep your mask on. But also when you're standing there in your line looking tough, you can wear the mask also.
0: But you can also be respectful and when you're engaging with someone who you're trying to say, right, I right. understand you, I hear you, I feel you, I'm with you, I will kneel next to you. Keep your but, fucking but, mask but, on because you, I don't want to fucking kill no, you, bro. But
1: this speaks to the cult this speaks to the gap between the two Americas, right? The in New York City, your average crowd at a demonstration, by almost by definition, are not Trump supporters right right. that's one of the reasons they're there if you're not a Trump supporter you are more likely to believe the scientific reality now now your political ideology should have little to do with your understanding of science but unfortunately in this day and age it does right. it does and your average cop is much more likely to come from a community where they don't believe the science so when, when that cop takes off their mask his mask in most cases on his her mask he or she may not even realize that that because they don't accept the basic truth, and that speaks to the difference here. But the yeah. bottom line is that we have a governor who has made the policy clear. And we have a mayor who has, in his own way, supported that policy. So wear a mask when you're a cop. Wear a mask when you're a demonstration. It's our own health we're trying to protect. I also fear that that there's going to be an uptick in COVID and and that um and that when it happens, Trump will blame the demonstrators. This to a great extent is about mm. Trump washing his hands of of the COVID. And and it's not going away. Yesterday, we had well over, according to um, NBC News and, and Johns Hopkins, we had over Johns Hopkins University, we had over thousand deaths in the country. Now that's not because of anything that's happened with the demonstrations. It wouldn't have would have taken, couldn't have happened that fast, or very likely.
0: But it's also how many of these demonstrators are likely. I mean, I, even on Twitter, they were begging in Philly. Every single person that has been to a protest to go get tested and that you don't right. have to admit when you go to the testing that you were at a protest. You can simply go get tested just so that you can know for your own well-being. Right. But there right. were also people that may think or know that they are or have been COVID positive and they went to the protests. But I want to raise an, it.
1: <laughs> I want to raise another interesting point about this. I've been going to demonstrations. I probably first started going to demonstrations in the late 70s with my mother, right? Um, so I've been, I've gone to demonstrations for decades and, and for a whole range of kind of left of center, the usual things that you might expect, political causes. And so I started as a boy and now I'm a middle-aged, late middle-aged guy and man. And, and what struck me, I went to this demonstration Sunday and, and the truth is I only stayed for about an hour and a half and I kind of freaked out, not because of the potential for violence, because frankly, I'm not that afraid of police violence um, I, you know, there's a moment white people to the front. and I went to the front. I was, I had my bike with me. Right. Um, I'm not that afraid. I know when it's about to get violent, I know to get out of there. I've been in, I, I, I have enough experience. Yeah. You
0: this. can feel it. It's a feeling. You can feel it. Yeah.
1: But I was afraid of COVID. And I, and I give
0: just, you a lot of fucking credit for going because I sit here like a coward.
1: No, and, and, and maybe it was a mistake. I don't know, but I did freak out after about an hour and a half and I got my bike and went home. I I, I will, I, I want to be frank about that because I was scared of, of the virus. Right. But. But I was at this march, and I'm marching along, and I see this dude, other dude, and everyone's got a mask on, so I can't really see his face, and he's got a drum, like in the front of his chest, and he's banging on the drum, and he's chanting, everyone's chanting. And we look at each other, we kind of smile through our masks, but we can't really, because it's just kind of— Right. And I look, and as he turns his head, I see he's got gray hair. And I realize he was the first person at that march older than me. I'm 52. Most of the people there were thirty and younger, and the reason is the older people, like me, are afraid. Right. And the problem with that is that one, that means that a good half the population can't go to the marches because of the disease, and they're afraid. And that means the numbers are smaller. Right. But it also means that in general, in these situations, older people are the cooler voices. Right. If you've been at a march, are you there? Yep. If you've been at a march and something's getting out of hand, and some, and some. 20-year-old African American man is doing something and some 50-year-old African American woman tells him to, tells him to cool down. Well, that's going to have a lot more impact than a 25-year-old, right? Right. So and, and and it's not about race. And and so so without older people there from the community, right? We're not talking about people like me. I'm talking about older people, older African Americans in this case, from the same communities who are reluctant to go because of the COVID issue. There's, they're more prone to hot-headedness and violence.
0: Right. It's the voices that are missing. And, and it's voices violence, that are just, missing.
1: You know, it's harder to stop that one or two people who have the worst incident, right? Because, and 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 that's a real issue here. And this is and all of this, on every side, whether you are a, a looking at Donald Trump, and and his. Well, it's
0: like that anywhere. Anytime you go somewhere and look, and you see a familiar face from a community or a neighborhood, it gives you some it gives you some type of reassurance or comfort. Like a somebody that's not going to let you get hurt, somebody that's not going to let you make a mistake, somebody that is not is going to look out for your well being. Like I think that that's important, and I think that that is honestly part of the struggle of a lot of people.
1: My first semester in graduate school in New York, I was in my early 20s, and it was the first Gulf War. And I had moved back here from from San Francisco to go to graduate school, and there was a march against the Gulf War, and I went with a couple of friends from grad school. But I'd never been to a march in New York before, you know, because I'd start growing up in California. And and I was a little bit, you know, it was peaceful and everything. And, and I remember I marched, and got my – and I looked – and, and and I hear this voice, Lincoln, and it's an older, clearly older Jewish woman. And I look around, it's my Aunt Myrtle. My Aunt Myrtle has since uh, passed away. She'd probably be, be over 100 if she were alive today. Because but, there's you
0: know, no one there's no one named Myrtle anymore. You
1: no, know, there's no one named Myrtle. And Myrtle <laughs> was a very good progressive for her whole life, you know? And it was my Aunt Myrtle, and she was at the march. And it was just really like, like you know, it was really nice. And and and, and, and you all see these marches. You all see these old people. I can't believe I'm still doing this shit, right? She was one of those older right. people. But throughout her whole life, and she died in her 90s, she lived a nice long life. But, but those people don't, don't go. But, but, but if you look at Donald Trump, if you look at the, the racist out in Merrick, Long Island oh, the other day, oh, if, you the look f- at, if you look at her this morning, whenever that was, if you look at the people on the streets demonstrating, if you look at the people who are making trouble because they're white supremacists and they're intervening, if you look at the local police, every step of the way, every every group of people you can think of, this is all a run-up to November.
0: Which is going to be filled with the potential of violence and threats. Right, and everyone is showing
1: their cards now. Right. And the challenge for all of us is what can we learn, right? What can we learn about our own behavior to make it not not better but more effective, right? Right. What can we learn? I mean, Donald Trump has shown his hand, right? He has, I mean, and I want to make this point. The other day, two nights ago, when he went to the uh, and I was I had a rough night um, a couple nights ago. For reasons related to this, and sleep you you woke me up with a text. Sorry,
0: (laughs) I was freaking the fuck out.
1: (laughs) But so when I looked at the the video and everything, and a lot of people were saying that can you believe that Donald Trump used violence to disperse these demonstrators so he could do a photo op? Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's what happened. Really, I think what happened is this. I think Donald Trump set up a photo op so he could violently disperse the protesters. Yes. The violent I think dispersion he's... of the protesters is the feature, not the bug.
0: He wants a Tiananmen Square. He wants these right, tanks. Right. He, he is want... looking for that moment.
1: Right. So he made this excuse because the cause the, uh, the stupid Bible thing was so botched anyway. He doesn't know what he's doing, but he wanted that striding purposefully with smoke rising. And what that shows is, one, that we are living—this is—we this is, are we're dealing with the kind of adolescent fantasy adult right-wing mind, and I use the word mind loosely here, yeah. uh, with regards to Trump, and that the people around him are so scared that they will do this, but—
0: Well, now you have but, that guy backing up and trying to be like, I didn't know I was going on a photo op. I thought I was just right. going to, like, talk to protesters and look at a bathroom bullshit.
1: But, you know, I talked to a cousin of mine who's older than me, and he said, you know, he said, I was at the Pentagon in 1970, and Richard Nixon came out and talked to us. Nixon, for for Christ's sake. I mean, but what this shows you is how quickly Trump will go to violence in the post-election scenario, how the military doesn't know what to do, right? This is—and,
0: I mean— Do you believe in any way that that was kicked off by Putin? Because there were tweets that came out that said the person that he spoke to on the phone before he pulled that bullshit— was was Putin? I don't even know if that's really relevant, but—
1: I obviously can't prove it, but you could certainly see— I mean, you know, I wrote a book. Uh, I don't have it around, but I wrote a book called The Color Revolutions." You, can,
0: you can add it to the tweet when I post it.
1: 2012, uh, Penn University of Pennsylvania Press. And this is like a serious political science book. What's it called? And I talked The Color Revolutions, and it's about the kind of democratic breakthroughs in Georgia, Ukraine, and Kyrgyzstan in the period between about 2003, 2004, and, and, and 2009. That window, 2003 to nine, and, and I talked a lot about how Putin, who was president he was in Russia at the time, looking at these authoritarian – or the case of Georgia, not authoritarian, semi-democratic – leaders being overthrown in his neighboring countries and how that scared him, right? And that one of the things that he learned from that was to crack down early. Don't let the movement get strong. And I could—look, who the hell am I It was a conversation Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin? I mean, I'd kind of like to be a fly in the wall, and I'm also grateful that I can't be, right? Right. But it's certainly it's certainly possible that Putin said, you want to stop this, you got to stop it now. Well, the fact that it's Mark Meadows possible. gave
0: credit to Ivanka Trump was also so vomitatiously nauseating that it was her that put the whole idea together, and it was her, her brilliant
1: plan. I don't think that's credit. I think that's passing the buck.
0: That it wasn't Mark Meadows' idea? I mean, the whole thing is, like, fucking pathetic. The only person backpedaling now is that defense dude who who knows. He made a big fucking mistake.
1: Right, but what this shows us is... I mean, the military here is a real wild card, right? Because on the one hand, they do desperately do not want to go be dispatched into the streets of the United States, and they even more desperately don't want to do it if governors don't want them there, right? They know that the constitutional conundrum that puts them in, right? On the other hand... Trump is the commander-in-chief. On the other hand, they have, they have taken an oath to the Constitution to defend the Constitution, right? And I don't think Trump realizes how – what dangerous waters he's in here. But sending the military to American cities it was something from which his country won't recover, and I'll tell you why. We have – our military is good at a lot of things, and we're not good at a lot of things just from a military perspective. And urban guerrilla warfare is one of those things we've gotten better at because that's kind of where we engage in, unfortunately, in so many parts of the world. But urban guerrilla warfare in the United States, right? And and look around your neighborhood. Look around my neighborhood. We live in the same neighborhood. Bad example. But look yeah. around neighborhoods like ours around the country, right? People are armed, right? One of the most extraordinary things about these these, these marches is how no one takes out a gun and starts shooting the cops. And I, think, I I don't want anyone to do that. But every time it doesn't happen, I'm a little grateful. Right. Right, because people do have weapons. Now, New York...
0: Yeah, not here.
1: ...because of the gun regulation law, it's actually less armed than a lot of places. Right. But there are other parts of the country where there are big cities with a lot of weapons. You want to have guerrilla... You you send tanks into Atlanta, you're going to have guerrilla warfare on the streets of Georgia.
0: Well, you also have have, um, police personnel hyping up people to grab their arms and to defend their homes and to defend their stores. And if you see a trespasser, if you see a looter shoot, like you will get shot. That's their premise. It's like, we won't talk to you. We won't communicate with you. We will just shoot you on site.
1: But this is another reminder that, and I I have to say, I mean, I was, and I've been a defender of our mayor from the the right for a long time. But when he made that talk, I think on Sunday morning or Saturday
0: night about the the van that drove into the demonstrators, the two SUVs actually, SUVs, whatever it was. And he said, you
1: know, the, 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 the problem here was the demonstrators who made it impossible. Well, let's be clear here. The proximate violence here was the murder of George Floyd, right? That's the violence that set all this off. But the violence that started this was the middle passage, right? The violence that started this was the slavery that didn't end you know, I mean that and that violence has never really ended so so the the 400 plus years of oh, I guess, yeah 401 years now I guess of violence to maintain white supremacy that is the context but even if you'd want to take this even if you want to like be less of a historian just' look at the here and now if you add up who is committing acts of violence it is clearly the state even since beginning the day after the killing of George Floyd, even if you don't want to count that, which you should, you should right. count that. It is many more acts of violence committed by the state against people of color than demonstrators against the state. And I don't want violence on either side, but we have to be clear. And when I listen to the leaders of this movement, and when and it's hard to know because I'm a leaderless movement in a good way right now, but when I listen to elected officials from these communities – African-American members of Congress, African-American mayors, African-American state legislators, et cetera, city council members, the public advocate in the city of New York is African-American. Right. What I hear from them is the need to remain peaceful and nonviolent. That's what I hear from the leaders to the best that I can determine who the leaders are.
0: Excluding our mayor, who seems to not be able to do the right thing. Well, I'm talking about African-Americans. I know, but I'm saying this is the guy.
1: Our mayor's lost.
0: And then for the governor to pick a fight with him and, and threaten to displace him? That's a I
1: stupid th- Cuomo de Blasio bullshit that goes back to the mm-hmm. 90s. But, but, but what I hear from Trump is threats of violence. Right. And that's where the violence is here. And, and, and I'll tell you something else. I had a conversation with someone who's a real estate maher, to use a technical term, right, in New York. And he was concerned about the looting that had occurred um, in midtown Manhattan in, in, a, in the garment district. The other night, and he, we were talking about that on the phone. <laughs> now, this is someone who is not a supporter of Trump at all. Um, but he said to me, he said, he said, you know, I'm worried. It's not good for business. I mean, it's businessman, right? But he said, I also understand that this isn't right, what happens to these people, to, to people like like, like Floyd George Floyd. But then he said, by the way, all these companies have insurance. This is the only money those stores have made in the last few months, right? So, so I mean – I, I want to be clear you shouldn't I have no interest in looting a, a store right? right I don't think people should do it but I also let's not let's not let's not draw an equivalence between throwing a garbage can or, or a hammer through a, or a brick through a window of a Macy's and strength and having the state murder an innocent man while, and, and then cover up for it over and over and over again those are not moral equivalents and we have to always 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 remember that I also think that you know there is, I mean, there's a lot we have to learn about about all of this, and a lot, lot more will come out about the looting and and, and, and all of that. It is, you know, I remember in 1992, wrote the Rodney King rebellion in Los Angeles, and I was here in New York, uh, that not in L.A., but but I remember reading an article about this, and there was, they talked about how the people involved were looting when when people are looting diapers, which is what they were doing in L.A. It's very different than when people are looting, you know, expensive garments. Right. Right. People are looting diapers or toilet paper. When you get to the point where, when you see a store and what you walk out of is a 30 roll of toilet paper or a big super thing of diapers for your baby, we get a real problem, and it's not the looting. That's not the problem. Correct. You which know, is why the situation. looting
0: here is ridiculous. Which is why it is ridiculous, and it is de- yeah. it is it is taking away from the overall mission and purpose of these protests. And I personally don't think it. I, I think an eight o'clock curfew is too late. I think you need to start a curfew in the daylight. I am not a professional in any sense of the in right. any sense of the in the means but you have to be home by dark you need to be able to leave somewhere within three hours. Nobody's going right away. Nobody's leaving. So you set the curfew for five, and then everybody lingers and goes where they want to go and continues to protest and resist. You know, but I guess that's really then not protesting. That's just really going home so that you don't get arrested.
1: I mean, I think 8 o'clock is all right because you leave by 7, 730, and it does Most
0: people, but the majority of the people refused to leave. There was the standoff at the at the bridge right. downtown. So
1: that's going to happen no matter what time the curfew is.
0: Right. But I'm saying maybe for this, I'm looking at it more from the safety of the protesters. I'm not looking at it as like, please go home. Everyone's punished. I'm saying to make sure that the people are safest because when, when it gets dark and these these wackadoodle, dangerous as fuck, agitating white supremacist if they are if they aren't if they're professionally sent to do these type of things who the fuck knows but they're dangerous and 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 the likelihood of you getting caught up or accidentally hit with a rubber bullet or or run over by a fucking suv
1: no i I agree
0: i mean but and i think go the fuck home so you could come back tomorrow and continue to protest
1: the problem with with that I have with curfews of any kind, because I grew up in a city where there was a curfew a lot of the time eleven p.m. for the young people, sixteen and under, or something. And the problem is that it lends it again, you know.
0: Well, you want to push the rules. You're you're human.
1: No, but also, but also, it gives the police the ability to mm. figure out to just to, too much leeway, mm-hmm. right?
0: That's a good point. I mean,
1: you let you let the police just. I mean, I I so there was right in my block, a couple blocks away you know, a lot of people being arrested. A friend of mine was watching it from his window and telling me oh it Oh, was on.
0: that for breaking the curfew, I'm assuming?
1: Yeah, yeah there was demonstrators who were, they weren't breaking, they weren't destroying anything, right? They were just out there assembling for whatever reason on that corner. What right? do they do?
0: Book that you, process you, and like let you go? Like they're not keeping people
1: were People were running away. They want to get caught. They were running, there were guys on bikes and stuff and they're running up my street and you could see that most of the people, fortunately, were going to get away, right? But then like th- I saw three guys and they kind of ducked over to the left and and then I saw a cop car coming. I said to the guys, hey guys, there's a cop car coming. You know, we were on our stoop, which is technically our property, so it's, you know. But I mean, most people get away with breaking the curfew. The police decide who they, and then the police have this, what I think we I've heard a lot about this kind of various chokeholds that they're trying to make illegal in different local police forces. I support all of that, but I'm also struck by how many times, you know. Look, I have no I have no illusion that being cop is an easy job. Being a cop is a difficult job, especially if you try to do it right. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult, difficult job. And it's also an important job. That doesn't mean you can be racist when you do it. Right. It doesn't mean that you can commit gratuitous acts of violence when you do it. And even though the policemen's unions tend to be more focused on on guaranteeing the right to the police to be racist than to actually negotiating good labor deals, they get, they're get paid reasonably well. And I think I don't have a problem with that. But I think if the city of New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco, Chicago, whatever, is going to pay police reasonably well and give them reasonably good pensions, then we, the, the taxpayers who are paying those people salaries, have a right to demand that we want high-quality, law-abiding police officers.
0: Well, somebody made a really good and point that if you were a doctor and you committed, like, some type of, like, crime again, like against the code of your job, right. you would be fired and you, that right. record would then follow you to any other job. Yes, you might go to jail.
1: If I commit, if, if a cop commits a crime in, in Camden, it's not on his record when he applies for a job in New York.
0: Right. There is right. that problem of the roving, of the roving but, but there's an, cop. But
1: what I see at these demonstrations is how many times do you see the cop commit the gratuitous act of violence after the person has been arrested? I'm not sure that all that violence is necessary to arrest them in the first place. But I've seen videos of cops just spraying people while they have their hands behind their head. I don't care what stress that policeman goes on, is under. That person should be fired and lose their pension. You cannot police by making examples out of people. You cannot you – cannot, the idea that I'm going to stop 100 people by beating the shit out of one of them can should not be legal. Right. But that still seems to be how this functions, right? So, so – I understand the police can't arrest everybody. There's just, you know, let's say, let's say in this, for the sake of argument, a hundred people stream into Macy's and start stealing shit. I understand that the police can't arrest all of them. If the police could police can only catch three of them, then what they should do is treat those three of them lawfully. You want to arrest them? Because you think they broke the law? Fine. You want to press charges because you think they broke the law? Fine. Then there's a legal process. But you cannot beat them up because you're angry at the 97 who got away or because that person is black or whatever. And that is what we see over and over again. And, of course, there's a racial dynamic to it. Of course there is. I'm not saying there isn't. But that so, – so while we look at the kind of big picture, uh, Derek Chauvin and all those other three cops, I think, should be tried with murder and go to jail for a long time, right? I think the cops who, did, who killed Eric Garner, same thing, right, mm-hmm. over and over and over again. The individual police should go to jail for a long time, but the culture within the police department has to change in many, many ways. And, 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 and you know, maybe we end on this, but Joe Biden, and, and I wish that the media gave Joe Biden some more attention because he's beginning to say some interesting things.
0: Uh, Barack Obama's going to speak tonight in a town hall. That's going to really piss the bunker bitch off. Yeah. I mean, that is, and shit's going to go bonkers because.
1: But, but go back and look at Biden's speech from yesterday. Because Joe Biden, who is a career—let's be frank here—a career politician, right? Right. Who who is just nothing to the. I mean, basically comes out of the mainstream of the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. right? Now that mainstream has moved a lot to the left since he since he first became a public official in the seventies, or first became a U.S. senator in the seventies, early seventies. But Joe Biden, who could be the next president of the United States, speech on race yesterday was extraordinary. I have never heard a candidate for president. Who was the party's nominee as progressive on race, and that includes Barack Obama, two thousand eight, two thousand twelve. Biden understands that where the center of gravity for white America has moved on this, and it's mostly younger white America, under say forty. And
0: hey, I want to be in that. I want to be in that.
1: I, I do too. And my <laughs> hope there, and and you know, um, the Speaker of the House, you know has is is working with the congressional black caucus to produce legislation that is ready to go now this all comes down to the senate but you know the political the electoral goal here is achievable
0: i hope so and
1: and and it is achievable that on january 21st or 22nd joe biden in his first day or two in office is presented with three or four or five or I don't know how many pieces of legislation to address police brutality, to address systemic racism in the police force. And you know what? He'll sign it. He'll sign it. Whether or not he wants to, and I suspect he will want to, he'll have to. Right. He'll sign it. And that will begin to change things. But
0: we have to get there. (laughs) We have to get there. And if we don't I don't think
1: the United States of America, as you or I know it, not in terms of a liberal tolerant place or bullshit bullshit, it's always been a racist, fucked up place in that regard, but as a cohesive, functioning, stable polity will continue to exist. Because the anger you see now is a fucking Sunday school picnic compared to the anger of another four years of Donald Trump.
0: Yeah, Especially
1: think- if it is perceived as God, as, either, as him together either illegally or undemocratically. And, and it is axiomatic that it'll be undemocratic because the Electoral College, right? Bear, bear in mind that what, these protests on the street that you see now, today, yesterday, the day before, tomorrow, they are about many things, right? Police brutality being at the center, the, the, the strong systemic racism in our society being at the center. But they are happening because we are governed by an undemocratic document that, for, for because of the way the demographics play out in the United States, ensures that an angry white minority has the majority of the power. And these protests need to be understood in the context of the 250 years since the founding United States struggle for greater democracy.
0: Well, that's hopeful. I'm going to find that there's hope in that, Lincoln. I think there's like a glimmer of hope in there. There is. There is. In the meantime, we got to just get through the pandemic. I think that the thing that it's the pandemic That's not going away. I mean, people are going to have to vote. People are going to have to stand in line. People are going to have to overcome their fear to leave their house. And if they don't get a mail-in ballot, if they, which is being looked over because they don't even have the death. Sadly, they don't even have the death ticker up on any of the major networks anymore. Like they did. So it's it's almost like if you don't. As
1: old this is for Trump, anything is better than that death ticker. We're at one hundred and six thousand votes. Right. That means that by
0: Oh, please don't do the math.
1: No, hold on. Ugh. Hold on. I'm always I I terrible at math in, in terms of how to, how to
0: punch it into a calculator. I'm good at math itself. I'll get you an abacus because I can't do any math.
1: If we, if we average 640 deaths a day, there will be over 200,000 by election day.
0: That in itself should cease him to exist as yeah. as anyone competently capable of, of winning. But you know he's going to cheat. You know he's going to use threats. You know he's going to use you know, any, by any means necessary.
1: And he won't leave if he loses.
0: Which is a whole nother issue.
1: Yes, that I'm writing about right now.
0: In a, Okay, well you'll let us know when that article is available yes. and where we could find it. And I'll put you'll send me a picture of your book and I'll put up the I'll put up the book so that people can look into the book and I'll I don't even want to tell I d I don't want to tell anybody not to protest. I just I just want to tell people to be safe and wear a mask or do what you can from your couch where you feel completely inept and useless still, but I I can't, I'm gripped by the fear of of being in a crowd. I think we have to
1: find ways to protest with, and and just looking forward to the post-election scenario, honoring the the necessary health requirements. Because I mean, and I'm beginning to talk to some people about this, but you know, I mean, this is the wrong thing for New York City, but you know, massive car caravans, right? I'm just thinking out loud, general strikes, right? Yeah. Going out at noon and just blowing whistles or something for 20 minutes every day, something. You know, there's got to be ways because it isn't safe. And I know people who want to be there. I mean, I have a guy in my neighborhood who's 21 years old. Right. And he's a he's a real radical guy. And and he really wants to go to these demonstrations. His parents are older. Right. And they're like and, and they have some health issues. And they're like, you cannot go. Right. Like, and they're right. they his parents are 100 percent right. It's not safe. He lives with his parents because, you know, no one has a fucking job right now.
0: Right? Oh, well, let's not, not go there. All right. No, we can... like, you
1: can't you can't. You know, it's and there's a lot of people who live with their parents. I mean, some of those demonstrators are coming back to seventy-year-old grandparents, fifty-five-year-old parents, right? I mean, serious shit. Serious shit. Well, let's hope it's not for going everybody's away just because sake. The weather's nice. Let's
0: hope for everybody's sake that they could at least do the best to like sanitize themselves before they get home. Like, how many of them are like stripping down and like jumping in the shower and not touching a doorknob and like throwing their clothes in a garbage bag and doing all the things that you know the least that you can do to try to like, I don't know hazmat and you, like, wash yourself down and, like...
1: But you know something? You know what the hardest thing to get right now is in terms of health issues? Uh, health of uh, yeah. COVID-19? Pure uh, health. San- uh, what do you call those? Disinfectant wipes. Yeah. Very hard to get. I mean, I went online. You can buy masks. You can buy bulk um, what do you call it? Uh, Hand, hand sanitizer. Oh, really? And you, buy- <laughs> yeah. and you can buy bars, just regular soap, right? Right. At the gro- which, which, for your house, that's what you need. Just bars of soap, right? Wash your hands with bars of soap all the time. That's That's really good. You cannot get disinfectant wipes, the good kind, the kind that killed the bacteria, yeah. right? But if you could, then you could have people at these demonstrations just, you know, masked and gloved, just I mean I, I I grabbed before I went, I grabbed an unopened box of about 20 power bars that we picked up at Costco. And I saw somebody there with waterers distributing. I said, Why don't you give these to people? They were unopened, so I want to make sure that right. they it wasn't was it was all fine for healthy and everything. Are you safe? So I gave it to them. But but that's, if you could get what you can't even get, go online, try to find disinfectant wipes, but get cases of them, right? Give them to people, like stand there, like every demonstrator, keep doing this. You know, there are things, but it's going to take a lot of work.
0: It takes a lot of work. It's going to take, this whole getting, getting rid of Trump is going to take a lot of work. I don't think it's going to be easy, but I think that, I think we have to do it. And I think we, I, I think that we've crossed a point where he's pissed okay, one off. Last go ahead.
1: One last thought. Go ahead. Donald Trump is now banging the drum about law and order. But there are two issues here.
0: Go ahead. What One, are they?
1: He's a career criminal. But the Biden campaign and the Democratic Party campaign has to keep reminding voters of that. That that this man cannot talk about law and order. And secondly, what people really want Well, he doesn't talk
0: about order. that kind of law and order. He talks about tanks and guns. He's not talking right, about right, grifting right, exactly, and stealing. Exactly.
1: But what people want when they say when you say law and order, what people really want is stability. And Donald Trump's America is an unstable America, and everyone knows that.
0: Yeah. All right. That's a good way to end. Good, Lincoln. 35 minutes. You're the All right, man. Look. To work.
1: <laughs> All
0: right. I'll end it. I'll talk to you later. All right. I'll bye. see you in the park. Bye. bye. Okay, so since Lincoln thinks that the podcasts are running long, I'm going to keep this this ending very short, uh, follow Lincoln on Lincoln, I mean, that's his website, Lincoln, Go to his Twitter at Lincoln Mitchell. Uh, you could follow him on the Instagram where you could see his Mitchell minute at Lincoln, a Mitchell, uh, all of his books are on his website. Uh, and you can, you know, peruse his collection. You can buy them. They make great gifts. Um, and reading is fundamental. And who can go to a library anymore? So you can order some books from Lincoln and read about baseball and politics and all that kind of good stuff if that's your jam. Speaking of jam, you can come hang out with the jam fam, 8 o'clock on the Instagram until they kick us off, which they do 90,000 times a night, uh, and hang with the peeps. Um, And uh, that's at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We have been going 80 nights in a row and counting um because we're all locked down on a curfew and can't go anywhere even if we wanted to. And what better way to spend an hour and ish chilling with people, listening to some good music, and watching me dance around like an idiot in my apartment. Uh and that is on my at doodleheads. You can follow me in the Twitterverse at Small Pencil Club. Um where more likely than not I'll probably get thrown in Twitter jail at some point today because shit has gone batshit crazy. Crazier than normal. Um is there any normal? What is even normal? Here we go. Uh, is it, did I forget anything? Who's going to tell me? Nobody, because I'm sitting here alone in my apartment staring at a computer screen. Uh, and, I, and I need coffee, clearly. 8,000 more cups of coffee. Um, that's it. Wear a mask. Check on your people. Be safe. Be smart. Please, if you go to these protests, like, go get tested. Take care of yourself. Take care of the people you're around. I understand the struggle of wanting to be out there, of needing to be out there. Uh, I, I get it, uh, and I, I get what link everything that Lincoln said about. How you, how, what Kareem Abdul Jabbar said. I will post a link. I will find that article from Kareem Abdul Jabbar. I will get it from Lincoln or I will do a little Googling so that you have that. If you have anything to add, if you have any thoughts, feelings, you know where to find me. Add them. You're more than welcome. The podcast is always open. You can call, you don't have to FaceTime with me um, or uh, send me something. I'm more than happy to ask Lincoln questions for you. You could ask Lincoln questions yourself. We could address them in the next podcast because uh, there will be more. There will be more. The the COVID shit's not going away. Uh, Ranting is not going away. I look forward to the day when I can get back to ranting about absolute, utter bullshit, like people that piss me off with giant umbrellas. I don't know when the next time I'll be on a train is that I can complain about people not moving out of the way of the fucking train doors. The simplicity of things. I, I, I miss the regular, everyday bullshit complaining. Um, but that doesn't, you can't complain about anything when you don't leave your house to interact with people. So there's that. All right. Shout out to all the frontline healthcare workers. We see you. I still bang my cowbell every night at seven o'clock. Um, I think it's just me up here. In- <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep banging it because I know people are still risking their lives to go to work every day. It's still no bullshit. So wear a mask for them. Uh, wear a mask because this way you're not a dick. Also, just because no one's posting black squares in their Instagram timelines anymore, it doesn't mean that the whole Black Lives Matter movement and marginalized people's movement stops. (laughs) Support black business, support people, support fucking humanity. Be a good person. I understand the need to make a presence on social media and to make a statement and to be aware and to build your consciousness and to educate yourself and to listen and to to be a better human being. That doesn't stop just because a hashtag is over. So please just continue to be an ally and continue to be an advocate and just treat other people how the fuck you want to be treated. Listen, learn. Answer your text messages when your friends text you, even though you're in the middle of ending a podcast, because it could be important. And I think uh, use the tools that you have to your advantage uh, in a way that you are comfortable. Do not let anybody... Do not feel pressured. Do not feel obligated. Do not ever feel like you have anything to prove to anyone. Just be your goddamn self. Do you. Do it in a humane, do, do it. for the good of humanity. Do it because you're a good person. Do it because you want to make the world a better place. Do it because you want to save the fucking planet from climate change. All of these things are still happening as our democracy burns to the ground in front of our face. So there, there are still things that we can do and do those. And I'm done preaching now. I promise until the next podcast or until the next tweet or until the next Instagram post or poem. You know how I roll. It's as simple as that. All right, and until the next time, peace and hair grease.